Amen, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Thank you so much for your generosity, singers and musicians. God bless you. And it's my honor and privilege to introduce uh, the speaker for tonight. Uh, I am so proud of her. This is the 11th annual Judah Conference that began, and it's going on every year. And it was started just in a small, a small way, but that did not phase uh, my wife and her team. It wasn't about numbers. It was about just honoring the Lord, praising Him, being obedient to the vision that was given. And it has grown and it has expanded. And uh, I just uh, honor and appreciate my wife. She is truly a woman of Judah. Open up your heart and receive the ministry of the word tonight. God bless you. Amen. Amen. It's been a wonderful night so far, and I know it's going to be a great weekend. We look forward to Dr. Lynn's message tomorrow as well. And um, yeah, we got some New Yorkers here that followed her. Let me hear it from New York over here. Come on. Ah. Amy, we're glad you're here. Yeah. And Denise, her assistant, Dr. Lynn's assistant is here. We, we are happy to have you. Anything you need, let us know. New Englanders are very friendly, aren't we? Yes, we are. And... Every once in a while, I'm going to click my phone and see the time. But when I do, I see a picture of my new little grandson. Yeah! And it's a distraction. So if I start going, oh, just forgive me. His name is Ezra. means God's helper. My little man, my little Ezra man. My daughter Hannah's baby. She's here somewhere with him. I can't see through the lights. There she is. Somewhere there. There she is. Where are you? You think it's easy up here with these lights. It's hard to suppose my glasses, they're reflecting. It's really strange. But again, thank you for coming. We, we really get excited about this conference, our team. The ladies here at Victory, I mean, when we, when we say women of Judah time, they're ready. They're like getting their purple shirts out and steaming them and just getting them ready. And Tara and the team, they get together and they practice several times. And because we believe we work hard, but then we rest in the presence of the Lord. We work hard, we prepare, we do everything with excellence to the best of our ability, but if God doesn't show up, it's all a waste of time. That is our belief. We need God to show up. And so tonight I want to share a message with you entitled, Bring the Boy to Me. And it's my hope that when you leave here tonight, this is a phrase that becomes part of your life. That no matter what you are going through, you're going to remind yourself, Jesus said, bring the boy to me. Bring the failed marriage to me. Bring the chronic illness to me. Bring it to me is what Jesus said. Bring the boy to me. Chuck Swindoll said, every problem is an opportunity to prove God's power. Every day we encounter countless golden opportunities brilliantly disguised as insurmountable problems. Brilliantly disguised as insurmountable, impossible for God. He could never change this problem. But in Mark 9, we're going to look at tonight a man 
who lived in the region of Galilee with an insurmountable, dreadful problem. His son was in a terribly pathetic condition and no one could help him. Have you ever experienced a trial like that? That was terribly pathetic and no one could help you and nothing could help you. Nothing human possibly could help. All help resulted in a dead end. No one could do anything. There was no fixer, no closer. And for this father, that's what he felt like with his son. It was helpless, he was frustrated, this was not merely a physical illness. His son was oppressed by an unclean spirit or demon. We're not told how long this boy's condition, when this boy's condition came about, but it does seem like the child was small. But this diabolical spirit continued to torment him into his early teenage years. Often this demonic spirit made him appear to be deaf and mute. When someone spoke to the boy, he didn't hear, he just looked blankly into space. Tried to speak, but he was in some other world that no one could reach, but he still had vocal cords. They still functioned because one version says when, a de when the demon would take hold of him, the boy would cry in agony. What I want to do tonight is show us that we're not just to bring the demon possessed, we're to bring everything. Because there are things in our lives, there are things in my life that cause us to cry out in literal agony. We actually feel physical agony when we cry out to God. When this demonic spirit overtook this boy, one translation describes it as an epileptic seizure. Another says it was, he was severely moonstruck, which means unable to think or act normally. This boy could not think or act normally. Whenever the demon seized him, it would take him from being in a state of distance and silent into terrible thrashing and screaming. He became a lunatic. This demonic spirit would throw him down to the ground in convulsions. His body would become severely damaged and lacerated by the sudden and violent writhing and thrashing, grinding of his teeth, foaming and frothing at the mouth, becoming stiff, rigid, and unmoving as if paralyzed. And the father would see this over and over and over and over again. This demon literally tried to destroy this young boy. If he was near a body of water, suddenly the demon would drive the boy to cast himself into the water. If he was near a fire, it would cause him to throw himself into the fire. So imagine the father, the constant physical and emotional draining that he felt, the unrelenting, you know what I'm talking about? Unrelenting burden that would not let up, this boy's father felt. He had to constantly watch his son anytime he was near water, fire, or an elevated place. Otherwise, he would throw himself down. I would say that's a terribly pathetic thing to live with. In that day, there were no institutions to care for someone like that. There were no programs. But somehow, this father heard about Jesus. And he heard that people were being healed by the disciples of Jesus. He heard that they had cast out unclean spirits. So the father 
at wit's end decided, I'm going to take my son to Jesus. When the man arrived with his son to where some of the disciples were, Jesus wasn't there, just nine of his disciples. You see, Jesus had gone up to the mountain with three of his disciples. I would have rather it have been one of the three because they were up there having a good time in the presence of Jesus. But the remaining nine of his apostles were there, and the desperate father hoped they could do for his son what he had heard they had done for others. And the disciples themselves thought, we got this. We've done this before. We can do this again. People do that. I can help you. I've helped other people. I can help you. I have the answers. I think we all know by now from experience, people may try to help us, and they do to some extent, in some ways, sometimes, but there are times when if you don't get to Jesus, you got to bring the boy to me. And we're going to read that scripture in a minute. The disciples tried to do, the, do for the boy what they had done before. Sadly, frustratingly, nothing was happening. Now a crowd begins to gather. Great. Hoping to see a miracle. But no matter how hard the nine disciples tried, they could do nothing to help the boy. So in the midst of this crowd, we have some scribes, some Jewish scholars who were experts in the scriptures, ever been around people that are experts at Christianity, experts in the scriptures, just pray more, believe more, praise louder. Hey, listen, I believe in loud praise, not because God can't hear, because I want the devil to hear. I want the enemy to hear. I want him to be on notice that I'm a praiser and a worshiper. God hears me even if I'm under my breath praising. But we need the devil to hear because he doesn't hear what we... See, he can't read our mind like God. So when you're trying to tell the devil to flee but you're doing it in your mind, he don't hear you. You've got to open your mouth and say, Satan, the Lord rebuke you. But you better be in a good place with your relationship with the Lord if you're going to say that. But that's for another sermon, not tonight. So here are these Jewish scholars. Many of them, along with the Pharisees, had already been opposing Jesus and his ministry. They were watching these nine disciples fail to help this boy, bringing up all kinds of accusations and questions and challenges. It was said that you were able to cast out demons before. Why is it that you can't cast the demon out of this boy now? Where has this power of Jesus gone? You seem quite helpless now that he's not here. Could it be that it's all just a big lie? People ask us that sometimes. Where's your God? This is happening in your life? You got a bad diagnosis? Where's your God? You said your God loved you. You lost your job? Where's your God? You said God would provide for you. Your kids are away from the Lord? Where's your God? No, can't give in to that lie. But that's what they were doing. Inside, imagine the torment this would be to the poor father. He's just coming to get his son healed, and he's got to be privy to all this conversation. 
Did the scribes and apostles have to have this theological debate right now? Couldn't they just go away? Couldn't this annoying crowd of onlookers who are all just chattering away about Jesus as if he were the new hot topic of the day? Let me tell you something. Jesus is not a hot topic of the day. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords and the Son of the Most High God that was crucified on a cross and shed his blood for my sins. He is not a hot topic. It is not cool to be a Christian. And if you just put a cross around your neck, that does not make you a Christian. Surrendering your life and laying it all on the altar, following God and living according to his word and the standards that he sets in his word, that makes us a Christian not the jewelry we wear. Couldn't these guys just go away? Can't the apostles, disciples just heal this boy as they had done for others? The poor dad must have thought, is this another dead end? Is there no hope for us at all? Have you been there? Have you felt that? Is there no hope for this situation at all? God, are you here? God, are you listening? God, do you care? And then comes Jesus. He had just come down from the mountain with his three disciples, Peter, James, and John, where they had just witnessed Jesus' glory on the Mount of Transfiguration the night before. Now let's look at the scripture. Three versions of this story in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We're going to look at Mark. Verses, beginning in verse 14. And when he came to the disciples, he saw a great multitude around them and the scribes disputing with them. Immediately when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him greeted him. And a lot of these people were the same ones that were saying, oh yeah, is this whole thing a big lie? Suddenly they see him, right? Sometimes Christians, they want to live this way, but suddenly they see Jesus or they're around a pastor or they're around a leader and all of a sudden they're holy. That's kind of like what some of these people were doing. And he asked the scribes, what are you discussing with them? Now, he already knew what they were discussing because he was Jesus. He knew. Then one of the crowd answered and said, Teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. <laughs> you just came down from the mountain and you're faced with this. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. He answered him and said, Oh, faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. But another translation says it this way in Luke, Bring the boy to me. Several months ago, I was in conversation with a very good friend of mine out of state. We were sitting in a room and we were just sharing some very, very deep challenges. And suddenly she said, Luke 9.41, bring the boy to me. And we started just reading the scripture and praying and getting up and walking around and praising the Lord and speaking in tongues. And we just, that scripture just struck us. Bring the boy to me. Bingo. The light went on. Like we've got to get to the place, ladies, where we don't go to all other places first, but immediately the first thought that we have is, I keep seeing my reflection in this thing. I think it's somebody over there. That's why I keep looking there. I'm like, who's there? Diana, you're still behind the drums? That's so confusing. So sorry, I get so distracted. 
bring the boy to me. And so when, when this conversation took place, it encouraged my spirit, and I shared it with my husband, and we shared it with our husband, and that became a, a phrase that I have in the last several months, bring the boy to me, bring the boy to me, bring the challenge, bring the this, bring the that, bring it, bring it, bring it, bring it. Bring it to me, Jesus says. Bring it to me. And when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed around, foaming at the mouth. So he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And again, Jesus already knew because Jesus knows everything. And the father said, from childhood. And often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help him. Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said with tears, ladies, there is nothing wrong with crying. I understand it's exhausting. Sometimes it's pouring our heart out before God, or we're struck with challenges that weigh us down so much we can't hold back the tears for another minute. But it is a cleansing process that God uses. And I've said this a bazillion times, and I will continue to say it. He stores up our tears in a bottle. He saves every tear. Do you know the value of your tears? We glibly, we cry, and we blow our nose, and we wipe our tears, and we discard it. Jesus is going, no, I, well, give me that. I'm storing up your tears. Our tears are so valuable. When you weep before the Lord, when you weep in pain and agony, and you can't take it another minute, and you're just crying out to God, and you're saying, God, I can't. I don't know what the future holds. I don't know what it looks like for me physically. I don't know how this is going to work out. And you're weeping before the Lord. He's catching every tear. And there is going to be a harvest, and those tears are being stored up. And I love that thought that he values our tears so much that he stores them up. And so he said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit. We just sang that song. When I open up my mouth, miracles start breaking out. We need to believe that. It can't just be pastors and evangelists and those with the healing ministry. God has set aside those, those offices for people to, to work and, and operate in that, in that realm and in that ministry. But I believe that God wants to use us and everyone here. Miracles can break out when you open your mouth and you believe, you begin to believe like you've never believed before. And in this day and age, full of so much heartache and COVID that has just uh, it discouraged so many people mentally, emotionally open up our mouth and believe for a miracle when we pray for people in your workplace i've said this before if people if you've worked somewhere for a length of time and they don't know you're a christian by now go get a new job and start over because you want to be known as a christian you want to be known as set apart the bible says we're peculiar people doesn't mean we walk around doing weird things sometimes we do but it means we're peculiar, we're different in that you have a need and you're in my office in a secular job and you ask and you tell me and I can say, I want to pray for you. We're peculiar. Like who does that? Who just says I want to pray for you? We do. That's what we're supposed to do. We want to be peculiar people. So he's saying to a deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly. 
when the devil know, knows that his time is up, get ready for, for, for another battle, but remember his time is up. But get ready for that battle. And enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly, came out of him. And he became as one dead, so that many said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up. Sometimes we feel dead. We just feel dead. Our spirits just feel dead. Our hearts, our emotions, we're dry. We just feel spiritually dead. And when he had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? So he said to them, this kind can come out not by nothing but prayer and fasting. Another translation says, while he was coming to, while he was, while, while, while. This is key, because this really stuck, uh, stuck out to me when we read this scripture a few months ago. While he was coming to Jesus, the demon knocked the boy to the ground and threw him into convulsions. Now, I've been thinking a lot about this. And sometimes we see that things get worse while we're praying for them. Do you, do you hear me? Listen carefully to this. Things get worse. And so sometimes that might cause us to actually feel like I'm gonna give up. This isn't working. I'm not gonna pray anymore because it's getting worse. If it's getting worse, that must mean it's not working. But I love this scripture. While he was coming to Jesus, it got worse. The devil threw him to the ground. And why did he do that? Because he knew his time was about to be up. The devil knows when his time is about to be up and he will convulse the situation to the point where you will want to give up. If you don't remember anything tonight, I want you to remember two things. Bring the boy to me and do not give up. No matter what it looks like, do not give up. The devil is lying to you. Because at the end of the story, Jesus delivered him. Amen. Don't go by what you feel or what you see. And I know from experience this is a very impossible without God thing to do. Because our eyes see what they see. Right? Our eyes, we live in a physical realm. So our eyes are going to see what they see. So I don't say glibly to you, get your eyes off the stuff and put them on God. I understand that's difficult. And we can't walk around closing our eyes. We, gotta, we, we know. But there is a place in God, and I know this. Many of you know this. Pastor Lynn, you know this. Pastor Jackie, you know this. Pastor Maureen, you know this. There is a place that you can get where you can spiritually get your eyes off what you see and God and uh, physically, and God enables you to see in the spiritual realm what can and will happen. But the key is don't give up. Imagine, here the boy is being brought by the father and the devil has one more shot and he throws him to the ground. What if the father said, I give up, this is useless, let's go home? We, we wouldn't have this story. And later we're gonna, we're gonna and I'm running out of time, but later we're gonna, I'm gonna show you that we don't want the story just for us. We want the story for other people so that they say, what in the world happened? And only God gets the glory. Only God gets the credit. 
God had done. And so if we give up when we're on that brink of that miracle, people aren't going to see the deliverance. So the deliverance isn't just for you. It's not just for me. It's for the world to see and God to be glorified. So the father's response in verse 24, Lord, help my unbelief. And I believe many of us can identify with that. And it's okay to tell God, help my unbelief. I just can't believe anymore. I just can't, God. I need more faith. You know what God will do? If you mean it sincerely and you pray sincerely, he will give you more faith. He will. He will do it because he's a supernatural God. We read books. We listen to songs and sermons, and that's part of being a Christian. I'm an avid reader. I have more book piles in the house, and a, a delivery will come, and my husband will say, why did you order another book? You haven't even read the 300 that you have in the house yet. Piled here. I'm piled there. I'm like, well, so-and-so recommend. I read one book, and in the book, they recommend another book, and I'm getting that book before I'm done this. I'm on my phone, Amazon. You know, so, I mean, I, I love books, and they help, but there's nothing like bring the boy to me. Get your situation to Jesus. We can all be extremely frustrated. So here's Jesus up on the mountain with the three disciples. He comes down. He finds the crowd and the scribes arguing and debating. And this shows what we're going to look at first. In this world, we will encounter trouble. You will not come to Women of Judah Conference and be told, Oh, don't worry about it. You won't have troubles. No, you will be told, You're going to have troubles. Because that's what the word of God tells us. In this world, you will have tribulation. Therefore, be of good cheer. That sounds so silly. Be of good cheer? How can we be of good cheer? But the Bible tells us to. Because that's when he moves. And that's when he works. We will encounter troubles. Young Ralph was head over heels in trouble. But doing little to help himself. A friend advised him, Ralph, you've got two hands. Why don't you do something? I am, Ralph replied. I'm wringing both of them. Do I need to read that again? Do you guys wring your hands sometimes? Just wringing my hands. This isn't working out. God, what are you going to do? God, when are you going to move? When are you going to answer my prayers? My way, by the way, God, I want you to answer them my way because I know how I want everything to work out. Like, you know, all that, so I can write the book someday. And Jesus is saying, no, it's not about you. I'm going to answer in my time and in my way that's best for everyone involved. Romans 5, 1 to 5 in the message says it this way. By entering through faith into what God has always wanted to do for us, set us right with him, make us fit for him, we have it all together with God because of our master Jesus and that's not all. We throw open our doors to God and discover at the same moment that he has already thrown open his door to us. We find ourselves standing where we always hoped we might stand, out in the wide open spaces of God's grace and glory, standing tall and shouting our praise. But there's more to come. We continue to shout our praise even when we're hemmed in with troubles because we know how troubles can develop passionate patience in us. And how that patience, in turn, forges the tempered steel of virtue, keeping us alert for whatever God will do next. Because he's always up to something. He's turning it around. He's moving. He's always up to something. In alert expectancy such as this, we're never left feeling shortchanged. Quite the contrary. We can't round up enough containers to hold everything God generously 
pours into our lives through the Holy Spirit. And really, if you think about it, we can't. We don't have enough containers. No matter what we're going through, the goodness of God still overflows in our lives. No matter what we're th going through, God doesn't become bad and evil and, and awful. He's still good. He's always good. And we have to believe that. So in this world, we will encounter troubles. They came down from the mountain, the glory of God and the presence, and they came down to this situation. It's easy to praise the Lord when all is well and life is good. Prayers are answered, miracles are witnessed, victories are won. But God is good in good times and in bad. God is good and God is God and God is on his throne. He has not relinquished his throne to you or to anybody else or to the enemy. You might feel like the devil now has got control of my life. He has not. God is in control and the devil is lying to you very loudly. I said recently, sometimes we hear the devil clearer and louder than we do the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to us. The devil's loud, but God sometimes speaks in a still small voice because he wants to see if he has our attention. He's not always gonna holler to get our attention. He might sometimes. But we've gotta stop being so quick to listen to the lies of the Why do we do that? I, I don't know the answer to this. The lies are loud, the promises of God to listen that way. We have to retrain our mind. What lie are you listening to over and over? I have, I've listened to lies over and over again. I go, I, I sometimes I go by what I say, I gotta retrain my mind. I gotta get in the word of God. That's why we read scripture. Be a woman of the word. You gotta be a woman of praise, but you need to be a woman of prayer and the word every single day. Yes, it is true, every single day. In life there is sorrow or pain, and pain. We go to church on Sunday, we're here this weekend, God's moving, we feel encouraged, we walk out the doors, life is the same. Don't get discouraged. Ladies, don't get discouraged. I'm, 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 I'm begging you, hang on. Bring the boy to me. Bring the challenge to me. God is saying that to you. Bring it to me. We've got to leave that mountaintop sometime and go into the valley where there are troubles, challenges, unbelief, frustrations, and people who desperately need God's touch. And oftentimes that touch is going to come through us. How does God want to use you? So stop wringing our hands and go to Jesus. So Peter, James, and John, and Jesus come down from the mountain. They see the crowds, the frustrated disciples, the taunting scribes, the eager and curious complaining crowds, the desperate father, the tormented son, and the evil spirit. Although the three apostles didn't know what they would find at the foot of the mountain, Jesus knew. Jesus always knows what's on the other side. When he said to the disciples, let's get in the boat and go to the other side, and then the big storm came up and the disciples were all nervous. In other words, hello, Jesus said, let's go to the other side. Do you understand that means he knew that they were going to get to the other side? So we're going to get to the other side, ladies. I don't know what you got to go through to get there. I mean, I'm going through some, some of my own stuff to get there, but Jesus said we're going to get there. And if Jesus said we're going to get there, we're going to get there. The team's going to sing in a little while. There's another in the fire. Whatever you're going through, God's there. Matter of fact, he was there before. 
He was waiting for you to help you journey through it. That leads us to the second. Those troubles cannot be dealt with when our, with our own power. They cannot be dealt with with our own power. Jesus asked the scribes what it was they were discussing with his disciples. And the father spoke right up. Teacher, I brought you my son. He's got a mute spirit. Wherever it seizes him, it throws him down. Can I submit to you, if you see a sister or a brother in the Lord that's suffering in their faith, let's not judge them. Think about this father. Think about what you've been through. We, we never, ever want to judge other people. We are not in their shoes. They are not in our shoes. You see a hint of this later. What happened when, when Jesus is with the disciples privately in the house? They asked him, why could we not cast it out? So he said to them, this kind can only come out by prayer and fasting. Now, I have a daily prayer life. It's not perfect, but I strive to be able to pray every day. Fasting, I don't do every day. But I do know that when God asks me to do it, there's a reason for it. And I do know the scripture tells us there are certain things that God is asking us to couple prayer with fasting. Because, first of all, it puts us in a place that shows God we mean business. Because let's face it, we all like to eat, right? But second of all, there is a supernatural thing that takes place when we combine fasting and prayer. And God was saying to those disciples, you were trying to kind of do what you did before. And I understand that. We get in a routine where we do things and we get used to it. But if we begin to do it without calling on Jesus and depending on Jesus and needing Jesus, it's going to be empty and it's not going to work. Prayer and fasting were not magic tricks and they're not magic tricks today but the combination is powerful and they are acts of devotion and expressions of complete dependency upon Jesus. So when the father brought them to him, they tried, but they were trying to do it in their own power and in their own strength. We all start out depending on God for our lives, but somewhere along the way, we begin to work in our own strength. It was never meant to be that way. We've got to rely on Jesus. Jesus said in John 15, I'm the vine, you're the branches, not the other way around. God doesn't need us. We need him, and we need to hang on to him. That's a great scripture to go back and read, John 15, 1 to 8, talking about Jesus being the vine and we're the branches. If we want to produce fruit in our lives, we've got to hang on to that vine. Number three, we only deal with life's troubles rightly when we bring them to Jesus. Bring the boy to me. Bring the boy to me. We, my husband and I love the movie, It's a Wonderful Life. We've watched it 5.6 million times in 32 years of marriage. I'm not kidding. That wasn't funny. That wasn't a joke. We really have. Mostly at Christmas, but every once in a while. But that's one of our favorite movies. And in the movie, little George, if you've ever seen, who has seen It's a Wonderful Life? Oh, that's, wow, that's really great. I am impressed. Good. If you haven't, see it. Don't wait for Christmas, just see it. So little George is delivering a prescription to a family. Mr. Gower is the pharmacist. 
but he is drunk, and so he put the wrong prescription in the wrong bottle. So as George is on his way, he realizes this is the wrong thing. And he sees a sign in a store window, and it says, Ask Dad, he knows. Little George doesn't know what to do, and he's, it's like a sign for, for George. Ask Dad, he knows. That, I, I thought of that story, thinking about Jesus. Get to Dad. Get to God. Get to Jesus. Bring the boy to me. We've got to get to Jesus. If you don't get anywhere else but to Jesus, that's the only place you need to get, is to Jesus. Bring the boy to me. I believe God is allowed to stress in my life and yours because he wants us to move closer to him. You have a choice to make when you begin to go through serious, any challenge, on any level. But particularly when it gets really heavy, you can either move closer or you can move away. That's our choice. God continues to draw us, but we start to put the walls up and push. Now is the time to run to him, seek him, pursue him, be passionate after him, come to know him through his son, get into his word, grow in our commitment to him, and then submit to his word whether we feel like it or not. Verse 19, he says it. I love it. I just love this phrase, bring the boy to me. See, that's the solution all along. The boy couldn't bring himself. The father had to bring him. There are needs that you need to bring to the, to the throne of grace for other people, not just yourselves. There are people that you need to bring and leave them at the foot of the cross. Bring the boy to me. Who or what do you need to bring to Jesus? We seem to do that as a last resort. We need to do it in the first place. When the father brought him to Jesus, he didn't heal him right away. In fact, the demon caused the boy to break out again in convulsions. And Jesus starts asking questions. How long has this been happening? Father answered, giving him a little history. And Jesus just starts another question, just asking questions, trying to have these conversations. And if I was the father, I would have said, really? Why are you asking me questions? Heal my son, please. I brought him to you. Heal him. I've done what you've asked. And sometimes that's us. We bring the need to him. And time goes by and he's not answering. We're not hearing the answer. We're not seeing the answer. Don't stop praying. And don't stop bringing. If you've got to bring the same boy or problem or trouble or girl or relative or health issue or financial problem to God over and over and over and over again, keep taking it to him. I'm learning. We all want instant results, right? Like right now, microwave, right away. Everything is like quick now. Rice, potatoes, pre-cooked this, pre-cooked that, you know, instant everything. We want everything instantly. But I'm learning in my journey of following Christ that bringing my troubles to Jesus does not necessarily mean that he solves them right away or even my way. It means I have done the right thing with them. I have brought them to Jesus. That's the right thing. We're a lot better off when we bring them to Jesus. Bring the girl to me. Bring the boy to me. Bring the chronic health issue to me. Bring the broken marriage to me. Bring the job challenge to me, bring the betrayal to me, bring the bitterness to me, bring the prodigal child to me, bring the disappointment to me, 
Bring the financial ruin to me. Bring the disillusions of where you thought you would be in life by now to Jesus. Bring me to Jesus. You fill in the blank. Whatever's happening in your life, bring it to Jesus. I love this phrase I read recently. It was actually where I read it said it was found on a little wall plaque on a little inn in Ireland. So maybe you've heard of this, Pastor Maureen. It says this, and Pastor Jackie, okay, Irish people in the front. All right, two Irish. This is what it said. I love this. Fear came knocking on the door. Faith answered, and no one was there. I'm going to say that again. Fear came knocking on the door. Faith answered, and no one was there. When you learn to bring the boy to me, you will become filled with faith. Your fear will begin to dissipate because God will fill you with hope and expectancy. You've tried to accomplish the work of Jesus in your life without Jesus himself. But let's take Jesus up on his invitation to do the only effective thing to do, bring the boy to me. And lastly, quickly, Jesus handles our troubles. See, we don't just bring them to him and nothing happens. I'm not going to tell you when it's going to happen because I don't know. Every situation's different. I don't know how long you've been praying for something. It might be a day. It might be a year. It might be 10 years. It might be 20 years. But all I know is Jesus handles our troubles. Because when we bring them to him, he gives us what we need to continue handling them until the challenge passes. While he was coming to Jesus, the demon knocked him to the ground, threw him into convulsions. Jesus ordered the evil spirit to leave. He cured the boy and gave him back to his father. Everyone was amazed to see God's wonderful power. And I, that's, 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 part, that's part of it that I love so much. Everyone was amazed. The people around were amazed. And we say, wait, what? Have you ever seen that little bitmoji? It says, wait, what? If you heard, I love bitmojis. I think in bitmojis. Like if I'm having a conversation with you, I want to like put a bitmoji on my phone and show you. It expresses how I feel better than words. But there's a little bitmoji. Wait, what? Like, wait a minute, what? Things got worse? How could things get worse? It's Jesus we're talking about. Wait, what? <clears throat> the devil's lies get louder. And I the devil's lies get louder. A matter of fact, they begin to get so loud, it's deafening. Because the Bible says the devil goes around like a roaring lion. He is not a roaring lion. The lion of Judah, which is Jesus Christ, is the roaring lion. The devil goes around like a roaring lion. And it's loud and it's deafening. I don't have time to go into details about a lion. Go home and Google it and listen to how far their roar is and how loud it is and how it scares the prey around them. But I'll tell you what, it's only a roar from the devil. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. But see, if you're not a woman of the word, you don't know that. That's why it's important, right, Dr. Lynn? 
Be a woman of the word. Get in the word. Read it. Memorize it so you can speak who you are. We sing a song, I know who I am, right, by Sinatra, I think. I know who I am. I think some people that are singing it have no clue who they are because they live in depression and defeat the whole week. Then they come on a Sunday, I know who I am. No, you don't because your living doesn't show it. But if you get in the word, you know who you are. I'm more than a conqueror. No weapon formed against me is going to... Pro- the weapon's going to be formed. Don't get me wrong. The weapon's going to be formed. The troubles are going to come. But the weapon can't prosper because God is on the throne. i got to bring this to a close. Things get worse before they get better often. Look at Exodus 5.9. Pharaoh said, make the, word hard, the work harder for these people so that they will be too busy to listen to lies. Here's Moses God is going to deliver you. He was telling the Hebrews, God's going to deliver you. And Pharaoh said, give them more work to do. As a matter of fact, make it harder, but do, I want them to produce the same amount of work in the same time, just make it harder. Don't supply the supplies that they need. Make it harder. And the people began to grumble because the lies of the enemy will tell you when the deliverance is getting ready to come, when your miracle is around. See, I can't see what's around that corner over there. And I could be, I don't know how far I can walk from that, so I'm just going to say, I'm going to go this far. But I could be right here. Nope, I can't do it anymore. I'm going to give up. But my miracle's right around that corner. See, Renee, you might be able to see it for me, but I can't see it. But I'm going to give up here? Oh, no. I'm not going to listen to the lies of the enemy. I'm going to keep believing, and I'm going to bring the boy to God. I'm going to bring the girl to God. I'm going to bring the challenge to God. And I'm going to go until I get around that corner because you don't know how close your miracle is. None of us do. But we've got to keep believing. The devil knew his time was up. And Luke 9, 43, everyone was amazed to see God's power at work. Psalm 50, 15 says, call upon me in the day, day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. Mark 4, we mentioned it. Jesus was in the boat. He said, let's go to the other side. The storm came up. Why fear the storm? He was already knowing they were going to get to the other side. He rebuked the winds and the waves and they got to the other side. I don't know about you, but I want to see the amazement of people around me when they see God give the miracles that I'm praying for. I want the power of God to be on display. When God shows up, people will know. Tara, if you guys want to come back, God is going to show up. Look at the lady next to you and say, God is going to show up, or the man next to you if there's a man in here. God is going to show up. Now say it with the emphasis. God is going to show up. Has he shown up for you before? Then he's going to show up for you again because he's faithful. In all that we pray for, our ultimate goal should be to see God glorified and people brought to him through our answered prayer. See, everything in our lives should be for the purpose of glorifying God. All that we do, all that we say, all that we pray for, for the purpose of glorifying God. Bring the boy to me. First of all, tonight we want to say, bring yourself to Jesus. If you've never said, Lord Jesus, I need you to be the the Savior of my life, I invite you to do that tonight. Maybe you've never prayed that prayer and say, Lord, you died on a cross, and I've heard about that story, but I've never really received it for my life. You can do that tonight. 
You can become a follower of Christ. You can invite him in, invite him into your life, into your heart, into your, your plans and your future and all that you're trying to accomplish. You could say, God, come into my life. Be my savior. Be the head of my life. The head of the, 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 the one that occupies my heart. I need you to come in my heart. You can pray that tonight. And Jesus will come in. And he will change your life. Jesus will change your life. He wants to. Father, we pray that as every individual woman in this place tonight fills in that blank, bring the to me. You know what it is, but I pray they would surrender that to you tonight. Lord, there are people in this room who have physical challenges. They don't know what tomorrow is going to show them. They don't know what a diagnosis is going to be. They're waiting for a call or a test or a surgery. There are people in this room whose children are away from you. There are people in this room that have, have experienced financial ruin through no fault of their own. There are people in this room that have been betrayed and hurt and broken and disillusioned. There are people maybe even in this room that have walked away from you. And they're here tonight, but they've kind of walked away and said, Lord, I'm going to go tonight, but I think I'm kind of all set with this whole Christianity thing because it's not really working for me. God, I pray that whatever story is represented in this room, you will turn it around. You already are. You're already working behind the scenes, even through all the heartache and the agony and the pain and the suffering, you are working behind the scenes. Your, your word says that you take what the enemy means for evil and you turn it around for good. So if we're going to be women of your word, we need to believe that and hold our head up high and square our shoulders and say, God, what the enemy is meaning in my life for evil and destruction... You are turning it around for good. Help us to say that tonight. I pray for every woman in this place, tonight, tomorrow, that you would do a work in them that only you can do. Father, you are the God who sees, the God who knows, the God who hears. Nothing goes by that you don't notice. Nothing takes you by surprise. Nothing shocks you. We could never do anything that would shock you. You are our Father, and you love us. And so we pray tonight, even as we, we sing this song, I speak the name of Jesus. I pray that you would touch hearts, mend broken hearts and broken lives, draw women back to you, Lord, and do the work that only you can do, Lord. Jesus name tonight before they lead in a few more songs but I want to invite you to come forward and just begin to ask the Lord to show you what you need to bring to him 
because sometimes we might not even know. We're carrying burdens so long, we don't even know what it is that we're carrying that we need to give to the Lord. So I want to just open these altars while we begin to sing this song. The altars are just open. We went a little bit later tonight than we normally do. I apologize for that. But if you need to leave, it's fine. We'll see you back tomorrow. If you're here tonight and you weren't planning on coming back, you can still come back. Just see the ladies at the table. We love you to come back. But we want to sing this song and ask you to open up your hearts. And this is a prayer that we want to pray over you. And you can just come forward at any time.